Hi, everyone. My name is Benno Papari, and this is the Songwriters on Process podcast. Since 2010, I've interviewed over 300 songwriters about, well, their songwriting process. I don't care about favorite cities, tour stories, favorite foods, or anything like that. My goal has always been to treat songwriters the same way that we treat poets and more traditional prose writers. They are writers, plain and simple. In these interviews, we go deep into the specifics of the writing process. This is no, hey, do you start with lyrics of the music type of interview. Now, a little bit about me. I'm not a songwriter. In fact, I've never written a song in my life. I have a PhD in English language and literature, and I'm a former academic. So as a prose writer, I enjoy exploring how my process intersects with those of songwriters. This is an intelligent conversation about writing between two writers. And that, of course, means we talk a lot about books. The site features interviews across all genres, from metal to jazz, from country to that big category known as indie. You'll find a couple of A-list actors on the site and several members of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as well. Now, I select songwriters to interview uh, who fit into one of two categories. One, do I listen to them already? And two, if I don't, would they make for a compelling and intelligent interview? You can find these interviews across all podcast platforms, as well as at songwritersonpodcast.com. Do you have an idea for an interview or a comment about the site? Hit me up at ben at songwritersonprocess.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy. And today's interview is with Carl Nichols, also known by his stage name, Buffalo Nichols. I'm a huge fan of Nichols. His new album out is called The Fatalist. I saw him, I believe, in the summer of 2022 when he was opening for the uh, Drive-By Truckers. I was in uh, Denver for work, and uh, it was an outdoor, it was a shed, and I was having uh, a drink before the show with uh, my buddy Jay Gonzalez, the guitarist in the Drive-By Truckers, and he said, we got to get back early to see Buffalo Nichols. He was a huge fan, and that was it. That's when I became a fan. Um I love this interview because there were so many things that he said that I really resonated with me. One was the idea that he never, he always likes to stop writing uh, when he has something left to say. And it's funny because I often bring that up with songwriters, this Hemingway quote, Hemingway often said that he would, would always stop writing at the end of the day, at the end of the day when he knew he had something left in the tank because he was terrified of starting the next day with nothing, with that blank page. Um, and I, that resonates with me so well and, and so much. And that's what he said also in this interview was just, he would always stop and he knew he had something else to say. Um, we talked also about the role of reading, and I'm just going to read this quote. I love this, how important reading is to him. He says, the times when I'm writing the most is when I'm reading a lot. And I mean, listen, every interview I do, I talk about that connection that I don't care what kind of writing that you're doing. If you don't read, you're not going to become a great writer. I don't care, songwriter, prose writer, anything like that. Um, but what I really admire is that he likes to read things out of his comfort zone. And I need to get better at that. But he was reading, he said he read Flannery O'Connor. Didn't really like it, but he has nothing in, Connor, in common with Flannery O'Connor, but he still still read her and he read the clockwork orange and HL HL Mencken and getting those voices, those differing voices in his head. And, uh, you'll hear more about, about that. Um, Oh, and I love this. He said he likes to write when he's fatigued 
because when he's fatigued, he gets cranky and annoyed very easily. And that's when he becomes his own harshest critic. Critic. So I've, I have all these quotes I wrote down that he said that I just love. Um, but I really like the one about, he says, um, if you can start with an idea, we talk about that confidence of, you know, avoiding the blank page. If you can start with an idea, it's motivating. But if you start with nothing, there's the feeling that you'll never write another song again. And that's back to that Hemingway idea of always starting with the, when there's, you got something to say anyway. Again, uh, Buffalo Nichols' latest album is called The Fatalist. It is out on Fat Possum Records, so check that out and enjoy my interview with Buffalo Nichols. All right, let's get started. So thanks for taking the time to talk to me. So I always start by asking, are you, when it comes to creating or writing, are you an everyday type of person or just kind of when the mood strikes? Like I find that prose writers tend to, you know, are of the opinion that you got to write every day, no matter how bad it is, mm-hmm. you got to write. But songwriters tend to often be a little more like, ah, oh, when the mood strikes, because I don't want to push it. So where do you fall in that category? Yeah, I used to be the everyday, like, laboring type of writer. Uh, primarily with, like, the instrumental aspect of writing, because I just have always been just obsessed with playing guitar. So I would just have, like, phones and computers full of ideas it's always like having little pieces to put together and then actually composing songs has always been something that happens whenever i'm inspired which is pretty unpredictable um but lately i don't do anything uh <laughs> ever since i you know been putting out albums and touring i only write when i have space in my schedule you know so even if i'm feeling inspired i usually am just hoping that i can I just am hoping that inspiration is like has some kind of uh, residual aspect to it where there'll be some left over because I can't get to it these days. Um, so now I'm just writing. Yeah, whenever I have a week or two off, I'll I'll try to do it. And it doesn't. And so far, it hasn't lined up with the inspiration. You know, so I'm trying to figure out new new methods. Well, let's try to figure it out. So wait, so. So you, so when you have an idea, when you're on tour, you say like, well, I don't have time to do it. I'll set this aside for later and hope that it comes back to you later on. Yeah, I guess, well, maybe the, that's a part that is worth explaining. I've always been the kind of person who like really has to stop everything. Like when I have an idea, like I'll have to write it down. And then sometimes I like try to get as much of the song out in that moment. Cause I feel like that's the most precious time. Uh, and it has something to do with my attention span. I don't know. But now I, cause now I'm seeing why I had to work that way because I find all these little ideas and pieces and I'm like, I have no idea what I was thinking back then. Like <laughs> that doesn't make sense anymore. So, yeah. So I guess in the perfect world you would. So I, okay. So I guess what I'm hearing you say then is that if you don't have a lot of time to write, if you do get inspired, but it's at a time, you know, practically where you don't have a lot of time to do it, mm-hmm. um, you know, because you always feel like you need that, you need more space. You just, you won't even, you won't even jot anything down or you just kind of say, okay, I hope it comes back to me in a day or two. Um, I've, I've kind of lost the the desire to write things down because I've seen what happens with those like pieces, um, especially if I waited too long and I stay pretty busy on the road with just, I just have a, a million things to do. Um, but I, 
I try, I try, I do try to like keep a record in a journal or like just record little ideas, but yeah, so far it's been, and I'm somewhat excited by the, the, uh, the idea of learning new ways to create, but so far it's just been slow and frustrating, which has always been part of songwriting for me anyway. So, <laughs> so do you have all these, do you have just, is your phone just filled with just random snippets? Yeah, it still is. Um, and I think the difference between now and earlier is I used to go through and uh, kind of work my way through it and try to understand what I was feeling or just try different things. Um, but now I think I'm a little bit more critical of my ideas. And I have to say, well, this works or it doesn't, which I'm definitely not proud of. I don't like working that way, but Sometimes, like, you don't get the time to, like, sit with the song and say, is this good or not? You have to say, does this work? Which I've always, I used to get really upset at people who talked about music working or not working. But now I've become one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> right. So do you, I, I, um, so do you go back to those, do you, you know, I, I find that songwriters tell me that they, you know, when they're, when they, when they're in a rut, they'll go back to even those bad ideas. And with time, mm. I mean, as a, I'm a, not a songwriter, I'm a prose writer, but I do find that sometimes yeah. ideas that were awful a year ago with a little bit of distance, you know, they may work now. So does that sometimes happen where you say it was bad back then, but with a different perspective, I could see this maybe working. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started to find myself saying that um, and feeling that songs aren't really ever objectively bad or good and that's why it's so hard for me to write albums and I, I love performing music and i love writing but the album and the album promotion thing is always kind of weird to me because the song doesn't really have a life until people hear it and i used to feel the totally opposite i'll be like i made this it doesn't matter what anybody thinks it doesn't matter if anybody likes it like this is my idea but now i I am more open to the feeling that the song belongs to other people. And if somebody connects with it, you don't know if it works or if it's good until somebody else receives the message. You know, it's like, otherwise you're just like talking to yourself and you could be a brilliant person, but if you can't communicate and you know, the world will see you as an idiot. Right. Do you take those ideas? Have, do you take a other times you've taken a bunch of ideas, small ideas, maybe put them, you know, combine them into a whole, uh, you know, as a song. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of songs that I've written that are like, there's actually a song. Uh, there's, I think there's a couple of them. There's uh, Nas has a song called uh, my book of rhymes where he like, you can hear him on the mic flipping through pages, like reading through old rhymes that he's written. And I think Lil Wayne too has a song where he says it's the last song he ever wrote, right? He, he's going to stop writing and just like come up with lyrics off the top of his head or right in his head. So he did a song where he just went through every rap he's ever written. And he's like, I'm never going to write again. Um, so not to say that I was trying to do something like that, but right. in that same vein, I've gone through and said like, okay, these ideas are good and I don't know what to do with them. So let's just, let's just put them all together. And I did one kind of progressive rock nine minute or eight minute song with that idea of like, let's just put it all together. And I liked it, but nobody else cared for it. <laughs> <laughs>
you know, some songwriters also tell me that they're they don't trust the lyrics that come to them quickly. Those are the ones, mm. like the ones that I, I think it was MC Taylor from His Golden Messenger. He told me this that we talked about a month ago, and he said, "Thou, I think the ones that come to him the quickest, those are the ones he's suspicious of." So, how do you feel about that? Are you those songs that come the fastest? Are those ones that you feel like I'm not going to touch that because it came so quickly, or I need to really work on that because it came so quickly? If that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's a big question. I think that a lot of songwriters face. I personally have seen myself ruin plenty of great ideas by over-processing it and overthinking it. So I feel pretty good about ideas initially. Like, I feel like the the quicker it comes out of my mind, the quicker it's going to connect with another person. Um, unless your goal is different, I think because of the nature of my music being kind of blues or folk, sometimes simplicity is, is, pri is cherished more than, you know, uh, being verbose or having a kind of flowery language. Cause sometimes I do try to like, you know, use the, go to the deepest depths of my vocabulary to express an idea. And I end up being really proud of it, but then it, you know, people don't, it, you kind of feel like you're going over people's heads sometimes. Uh -huh. um, Cause people just don't, broadly speaking, people like simplicity. Um, so it's not really a good or bad to me. I think it's just about what do you want to do? Do you want to say something and have people get it right away? Or do you want to have something a little bit with more depth and layers and feel proud of yourself as a writer? And both are valuable. You know? So how, how does that work exactly? Is that as far as when you say vocabulary, is it using words in the lyrics that traditionally we may, we may not see? Do you mean that complexity or is it kind of like the depths of the ideas? Yeah, I think it is more about, and this is my own opinion, um, the idea, if you're working at a, a lyric to try to, you know, improve on it, and you already have the initial idea, sometimes you can just end up burying it, which is part of the, um, I think the joy of listening to music is like digging through the layers and seeing what the writer is actually saying. Um, so I think, yeah, adding extra words, which is what it's all that song writing is taking a message and, and, and making it more convoluted. Um, yeah, it's really about just, uh, it's a, it's like, it's like anything, any, any kind of art, there's a, as an, uh, element of abstraction to it. Um, so the vocabulary is just to kind of make it a little, make a little more interesting journey. But the point is you've already, you already know what your point is. You know? Yeah. Kind of like how I just meandered with that answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. I like what you said about songwriting about making ideas more convoluted. I, that, that was, that was great. I've never heard it broken down like that before. Um, yeah. So I now, when it comes to those lyrics, are you a computer person or a pen or pencil and paper type of person when it comes to writing down lyrics? Um, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I, I think I used to be a pen and paper kind of person. Uh, and I've, I tried to switch over just cause you always have a phone or something on you, but it just doesn't feel right. And I find that when I'm writing and it takes longer, I think more about what I'm doing and it's more intention behind it. But lately I just kind of 
keep the ideas in my head and I only, and then I'll like put it on the screen when I'm recording to remember the words, but the actual writing process for me is mostly just done in my mind. So I have a couple of follow-ups to that. So I, I mean, I do find that songwriters tend to be very particular about the writing utensils. I think it's a confidence thing. Like I interviewed um, Jerry Harrison of the Talking Heads about a month ago, and he said that he loves, it's got to be a felt tip pen because he mm. likes the scraping <clears throat> feeling of the pen on the paper. Um, yeah. But I love that. Like the idea that you recognize that the scraping there's something tactile about it. But, you know, there's a lot of research that shows, I know that they've done research like with students and they found the students who use a pen and paper to take notes have much greater recall than those yeah. who took notes on computer because it involves a different part of the brain. Um, yeah. You know, so I'm curious, like with, with pen and paper, yeah, does that, and I think you, because you said it takes longer. Mm -hmm. I love that idea though, that maybe the, I'm curious if the lyrics would have more, you know, depth or whatever that means if you're using a pen and paper because you're thinking more about the word on the page. Yeah, I think even in the act of writing down the word, you're visualizing the word. And as you get through the word, the ideas are just replaying in your head. And we all have just gotten used to just thumbing our way through a conversation with just like second nature. Yeah. But writing is just a lot more, yeah, it just requires more focus. But I also feel like part of the reason why I don't write lyrics down as much anymore is because I've found that often words that are songs or poems or things that look good on paper, it's like a different, it just reaches a different part of you. And then the out loud part or the, you know, just hearing it, it doesn't always feel the same as reading it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes uh, I'll write a song and I'll be like, this looks good. And then I say it out loud and I'm like, but it doesn't sound as good as it looks. You know, does that make any sense? It does. I'm trying to, that's, so you're saying the visual aspect on the page, it looked, but when you say it, it just doesn't, the word, it doesn't, it doesn't mean it doesn't have as much depth as it did on the page kind of thing. Yeah. And, and it's also like, you could even read it and it's, it feels good. I guess this is more of a song kind of thing, but yeah. just because it makes sense on paper. And the words all look good and make sense. Then it comes out of your mouth and you put a melody to it. And it's like, okay, now I have to kind of go back and just use my mouth because the, 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 the pronunciation and like the, the, where the consonants land and all these things to me are just as important as the actual words. Um, so that's why I find myself going less to the paper because I can find myself writing things that feel right, but I know. Now I can tell already ahead of time that when I say this with my, with my particular mouth and tongue, it's not going to make sense. It's coming from me. You know? Yeah. Also, I think that if the advantage of pen and paper is that if you do go back to that, you kind of, I feel like it, you, you're back in that emotional state you were in when you wrote it. It's probably easier to recreate it. But if I look at something I typed, you know, yeah. I have no memory of where I was when I did it necessarily. But when you see something you've written, sometimes you can often feel like that emotion coming from the page. Yeah, there's and there's also the, the consistency. Like if I start a song on paper, I got to finish it on paper. I can't go back and forth, you know, and the song that start in the phone, they stay in there. You know, it's there is that kind of psychological thing. Like you go back to where you were. And that yeah, yeah, definitely. I love, I was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This is a few years ago. And it was the same, whatever it was, it was the same year that I think Chicago 
and NWA were inducted. I think it was like, or I think it was those two were the same year. Mm-hmm. So they had Chicago, you know, and they had the, they have the lyric sheets and behind glass of some of the, you know, actual, the, the notebook paper, mm-hmm. Chicago song, very light rock kind of, you know, simple, you know, on the page, plenty of space on the page and next to it, I, I think I have a picture of it somewhere because it was so interesting, but next to it then was the, whatever song from NWA, I forgot what it was, but you could see how there was like not, there was hardly any white space on the page. Like they got to the end of the line and they yeah. realized they had more to say, but there was no more space. So they were writing that line up above it, down below it on the, and it was like, so it was so, and I felt like, wow, like you really got the sense of where they were when they were writing it. Cause it was yeah. the lines no longer were linear. They were all over the place. Cause they realized I've got more to say, but there's no more space on the page. It was so interesting to, to, to look at that. Yeah, I've I've also often thought about when I'm writing songs in my phone or not writing it down. I think about like I used to have this Jimi Hendrix kind of coffee table book, and it had like pictures of his like hotel notepad lyrics and all these things. And I'm like, man, maybe someday somebody will care enough to like have those things for me, and they're just not going to exist. And from a lot of artists, you know, unless they can get a hold of the the notes apps. <laughs> I know it's true. I mean, it really is. I think you missed that. I mean, it, to see some of those songwriters and those original songs and like, I'm always curious, like how much, how much did they change, you know, um, yeah. from the original, but I think that's so, you know, seeing that kind of on the page, you can almost feel the emotion there. Um, so, and the other thing is, you know, I've heard people say that the the writing process is easier the less precious you make it. So, mm. which is go back to the hotel, you know, to, to hotel stationery or something like that, that if you treat it precious, like if you have an expensive pen and a fancy notebook, that's more pressure. But mm-hmm. songwriters who tell me they get a lot of success when they write it on like the back of utility bills or envelopes because it's like, oh yeah, I just tossed this song off. But if you make it sound like I'm going to write a song and open my fancy notebook, then that pressure actually leads to a block, you know? Yeah. Yeah. There is a, uh, the most important thing that I have to remind myself when I get into a writing mode is that, yeah, it doesn't have to be good. And it, it doesn't even matter if it's good. You just have to open that part of your mind, you know, that's willing to write. And I have, sometimes I will open up those like really fancy stationary books, you know, with the thick paper. And I'm like, I don't want to put a bad idea in this thing. I only got a hundred pages, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's, I love that you say that. Cause I, inter- I, I read interviews with like novelists all the time and every novelist will say, just get the bad stuff out first. Yeah. Got to get it out there. It doesn't matter. But if you if you don't start writing until you're ready to write, like you, you, then you'll never get anything done. But it's so funny how that's like every prose writer will say that same thing. No prose writer ever says, you know, just start with the good stuff. It's always you got to get the bad stuff out first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is a there's a fear I think with songs compared to it depends on the songwriter, but. Sometimes I know a lot of songwriters who feel like including other people in the process too soon. There could be even, you know, just people in the room when you're working in the studio and you get this feeling like, you know, this just has to work. This has to be right. But it's just like 
there's so many bad ideas in front of that good one. And if you're like worried about other people's, what other people think, you're just going to keep cycling through those bad ideas in your head. And then it's like, um, it's songwriting to me is kind of a personal thing. It should be done. This is, you know, my, my own practice is yeah. to do it alone. Cause I know that even if you share people like with a, a work in progress, and you kind of give them a heads up, like, "Hey, this isn't done. Just want you to see where I'm at." Like, you can't you can't expect somebody to to say, "Okay, it sounds like shit," but I I can see where you're going. You know what I mean? Right, right. You got to build that own that own skill in your own head to say, "Like, this is not good," but it's good that I've done it. Yeah, you got to get through the bad stuff. I I mean, there's a great essay I always mention uh, by the novelist Anne Lamott, and it's called "Shitty First Drafts." And I yeah. always have my students read it because it's like, that's what she says. You got to start off with, you know, the, the first drafts is going to be awful, but you got to start off with that. So, um, mm. so is it important? I think for me, it's important to have a ritual. Like I write in one chair and revise in the other. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's important to at least know what time of day I'm most effective. Certain yeah. rooms, um, for some people that doesn't matter, but. I'm curious, how do you feel about that? How important is the ritual, time of day, place like that when it comes to writing? It's pretty important for me. And I have also tried to get through all of that and just treat songwriting like a job. I can do it anywhere and under any circumstances. And I haven't gotten there yet, although I'm still still working toward it. Um, but I find that when I'm most uh, prolific, at least, is when I start writing in the morning and then finish writing at night. And then like early in the morning, like four or 5 a.m. Then throughout the day, I like to kind of come back and revisit. And then at the very end of the day, kind of finish it off. Um, because I've, I, I have a tendency to start and obsess over a song all day until the point where I hate it. And I've learned that it's best for me to like, stop working at that point where I'm still excited about it. And instead of listening to it over and over again, I'll just walk away from it and then kind of come back when I'm tired and not, um, not super critical, but also not overly enthusiastic and to see, just try to be more um, objective and say, what have I done and what needs to be worked on and, and kind of do that for a, a week or two. And that's when I am most proud of my work. Okay, that's amazing. So you start off, let me just get this straight. So you start off super early in the morning. Do you have like a time limit that you go for or just until the tank is empty? Uh, it's not quite till the tank is empty, but it's it's more like just having to remind myself like, all right, this is going pretty well. And I might have another idea or two in me, but I can, I'm pushing it, you know? And kind of just pull yourself back and say, okay, I still have something left to say, but I want to stop. And I think it's even like a Ernest Hemingway has said something about that. I was literally, I, I was actually going to give you the quote because he said, I mean, I was going to say that Hemingway said he would always stop writing at night when he knew he still had something left in the tank because mm -hmm. he was terrified of getting up the next morning with nothing to say. I mean, I was, I was actually going to say that because he does, he would do this. That's the first thing when you said that I thought of, because he would do that. He would say he, he was terrified of, he would never stop when the tank was empty. He always stopped. We had something great to say. Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's a really important habit for me because 
if you can even start with an idea, it just mo- encourages you to keep going. Because if you go until you've got nothing left and you have to start the next day from zero, then you just like, oh God, am I ever going to write another song again? What do I do? And then yeah. a week goes by and you've got nothing. So it's always good, I think, to have a starting point. Okay, so you have that morning session. Did you not do it? You don't come back till later that evening? Is there something going on in the middle of the day too? Yeah, the middle of, like if I do have an extended time to just write, um, middle of the day, I just, I still like to be around instruments and like listen to music just to keep the, just keep myself in a creative mindset. But I just make sure that I don't go back and listen to it over and over again. So I think I just keep, I kind of basically just keep myself busy to not obsess over what I've, you know, what I've been working on. And then at night then, that's when you go back to it and work on it more deliberately? Yeah. And usually it leads back into the morning session because when I go back and look at what I, you know, kind of review my work at night, I'll be, you know, more or less like taking notes and trying to think, you know, is this close to finish? Do I have more to do? And then for some reason, like, you know, that uh, just before you're about to go to sleep time, you know, when you get all your ideas, it's like, I feel like kind of just assessing the work and not really working hard at it in the evening kind of gives you all of that information that my brain needs to kind of come up with new ideas. And then, then back in the morning, it kind of starts me up, up with like fresh, a fresh tank again. So I feel like we're on such the same level here because I've, so you, you say that about right before you fall asleep. So mm-hmm. there's an article I read, uh, in there was a study done, um, a couple of years ago, and I always forget the name of this phase, but it's that phase right before you go to sleep. So you're not awake, but you're mm-hmm. not asleep. It's that kind of like when those weird words are in your mind and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. So there's a name for it. I forgot what it is, but the point is, so Salvador Dali, and they recreated this in labs with creative types, but they talk about, here's what Salvador Dali would do. So he would, and there's a picture of him and it's hilarious. He would sit in an uncomfortable chair with his hand out, his arm outstretched with his hand outstretched with a skeleton key in his hand. And -hmm. there would be a saucer like on the floor. Okay. Like, you know, plate or something. And then when he would drift off, you know, his hand would let go of the key. He would make mm-hmm. a sound. He'd snap out of it. He'd start to paint. Yeah. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's that, yeah. it's not that sleep. It's that, and, and he took advantage of that because he knew that that's when the creative, and, and again, that, that's, I've heard that before. And they've, and that there, that is a very, for not just songwriters, but for mm-hmm. all creative types that I think that's exactly the moment you're talking about. Yeah. And I've, I've later in my life, have heard about those studies, but I remember when I was younger, I used to like, deliberately wake myself up like after being asleep for like two hours or something because i just felt for some reason it just seemed like i was able to just really write and have all these ideas and i didn't really understand why until now it's the same thing with like uh you know if you wake up in the middle of a dream you remember it but if you sleep through the night you might not remember anything yep ideas i just wake up in the middle of the night and my brain is still in that in that mode of just like I was just, I just spent an hour in a world that I don't understand. And now I have these ideas that I need to figure out. <laughs> yeah. um, there's a novel I read. I think it's called, I forgot what it's called, but I read it a couple of years ago. And the, the, the main character is a writer. And 
it's a horrible idea, but what he would do is he would, he would, to, to, so he was terrified of forgetting those ideas that would come to him in the middle of the night. So he would yeah. actually wrap a pencil around his finger yeah. with a string so that when he woke up, he'd have it right there because he knew that if he waited two seconds, he would forget it. So he'd have it ready to go. Horrible idea. Cause I can't imagine uh-huh. you can't poke an eye. He wouldn't poke an eye out. Um, so, so a couple other things, see, here's what I know about myself. And I, I think it's important just to know like what works for us. Like, um, if I finish something in the day, uh, early in the morning, and I look at it later that same day, it's still too precious uh, to me. I have a really hard time getting rid of words because I feel like, well, I wrote them. Obviously, they need to be on the page. But I finish. But if I finish something at night and I wake up the next day and look at it, it's amazing how aggressive I am with my revisions and my cuts because it's like something about sleep. It's like a renewal. I wake up and it's almost like, oh my god, I definitely don't need that sentence that mm-hmm. yesterday I could have sworn I couldn't live without. Yeah, I mean, that. I, I, I wonder, I don't even know, I haven't done any kind of comparison to see what works better for me. Um, but the reason why I like to start in the day and finish at night compared to going to, uh, you know, sleeping on, on it is, because I still kind of get that same effect. Obviously, the next day there's still, there's still work to be done. Um, but I like that kind of um, being tired and a little bit annoyed. It makes me feel like a different person. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm not, I'm not as, I could be extremely critical of my own work, but I also have like, you know, like you said, it's like, I made this. So I must like, I'm the perfect audience for this. You know, I know right. exactly what I'm trying to say, but sometimes when I'm just like, tired and i i want to go to bed and i'm forcing myself to stay awake to listen i'm like this is now i've become my own worst enemy and i'm going to be like my harshest critic and not even in a helpful way but i'm going to like i'm going to see all the faults i'm going to hear all those all those mistakes and i'm going to i'm going to be annoyed by every unnecessary uh uh word and uh it's it's just going to be um yeah, it's going to be like a fresh set of ears, but a, a very mean set of ears. I love that. I love that you recognize that, that annoyance and fatigue, like that, that seem like that wouldn't work. I mean, that when you're fatigued, that's when you tend to just almost submit, but you find that fatigue and annoyance, that's the time when you're the harshest critic. I, that's That takes enormous discipline. I respect that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it it also is, I think it's also a time, a time thing to make my day as productive as possible because when I am tired, like I, the last thing I want to do is come up with new ideas. Yeah. You know, I can't sit down and start writing from page one. Yeah. So the only thing that I can do is be critical and cynical, which is a part of the process. Yeah. Uh, So a couple more questions. One I find a lot of songwriters tell me they get ideas when they're engaging in monotonous activities. There's something about the um, the monotony of a like some kind of monotonous activity that that allows the conscious ideas. If you're doing something that takes no conscious activity, no conscious thought, that's when the ideas bubble up. So I've heard things like vacuuming, um, gardening. Um, mm. Kebmo told me folding laundry. I love that. He told me he gets ideas folding laundry, something about the repetitive motion where it takes no forethought, no like brain power. And, but I hear a lot, you know, gardening, doing the dishes, things like that. Um, So I'm curious if that happens to you, if those ideas come to you in those times 
when you're not thinking about them? Yeah, um, I've had probably most of my ideas. And I'm speaking in my life as a songwriter, not yeah. the music I've recorded. Most of my ideas have come either while driving or at work. And I've had the most mind-numbing jobs, you know, like operating machines and stuff where you're doing the same motion for 10 yeah. hours a day. Um, that's where I've definitely gotten most of my ideas. And then um, it's actually like, I'm glad that you said that because I've stopped doing that. Like I usually will try to occupy my mind when I'm driving now. But there was a time where I was just getting so many ideas on long drives and, and doing uh, kind of monotonous work. And then I would sit down to try to like make sense of these ideas and I'll be like, okay, that is actually not my idea. That's actually someone else's song. I just kind of, <laughs> kind of messed, bastardized in my head and forgot that I stole it. Um, that's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. That sounded cool because I was bored. <laughs> so I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't, I guess it was good to get those ideas going. And I, I do need to get back to that aspect of it. But I think and maybe this is where I would agree with the uh, his golden messenger guy is that um, sometimes th those are those first ideas that don't really make sense. And yeah. I like to I like to be doing something a little bit more intentional, like when I'm reading or playing an instrument. That's when I feel like those ideas that stick that I don't even have to like write down because they just like hmm. they get stuck in my head, you know. So I I try. I try to be um, a little bit more, uh, try to keep those, the creative process in the front of my mind and not have it be something going on in the background. Yeah. I've heard even they speak of driving. I've heard songwriters tell me they get ideas to, by turn signals because you mentioned machinery, like repetitive. <laughs> yes. I've heard car alarms. It's crazy. Um, now that's something that they hear and they go, oh, wow. But, but um, yeah, I mean, there's something... There, uh, you know, the, there was an article in the Washington Post about a year ago about why we get our best ideas in the shower. And yeah. again, I think it's all because that idea that, you know, we don't get ideas when, when we sit down and think, or most people don't, and think, mm -hmm. let me think about this, right? It's always when you're not thinking about it, walking, hiking, exercising, biking, when you're doing something that doesn't require that conscious thought, that's when those ideas, like I use that deliberately as a part of my process. You know, I'll go out for a walk mm -hmm. and, um, there was a great art. There's a great book called the friendship. That was about the relationship between, um, the poets Wordsworth and Coleridge. And, um, they both got, they estimated Wordsworth walked like a hundred thousand miles in his lifetime, which is like so oh, absurd. Wow. If you do the map, it's of the math. That's like ridiculous amount of, you know, but he got almost, they both got almost all of their ideas on their walks. Um, and Wordsworth preferred flat terrain, Coleridge preferred rocky terrain, but Wordsworth often wouldn't, he would compose them in his mind and wouldn't come back in the house until they were fully formed. Yeah. I've, I've, there's a time where I would go to great lengths to try to you know, chase the muse. And, and I did find a lot of walking, um, would kind of get, get things going and I'll just walk and walk and walk and. And sometimes I'll come home with like multiple songs in my head. Um, but I think that that is the right way to do it is to, to, to finish it for me, at least to finish it while that's happening. Cause as soon as you come home, it's right back to the, to the rat race and even the space, you know, you sitting in your office where you work, but your mind is telling you, I don't want to work right now. I want to think, I want to, I want to, 
I want to just create. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last question. So I do find that songwriters are for the most part, you know, pretty well read, voracious readers. So I'm curious, uh, how much do you get to read? Who are your favorite authors? How much of that is a part of your routine? It's a pretty big part in, I didn't even, uh, think about it until just now, but I think some of the times where I've been able to write the most has been when I've been reading a lot. Um, and you know, I think the nature of my, of my music, I've, I kind of have just gone into, um, like book collections and different people's libraries and just try to look for things that are relevant to what I want to say, or even things that, um, are, I don't know exactly how to put it, but I've tried to let other people's ideas into my head. Yeah. You know, just to see what it's like, <laughs> you know, which is, I think, a, a, a dangerous thing to do, but I've tried it. And I've, I read like, there's a time where I was reading a lot of like uh, Flannery O'Connor which I really didn't enjoy, but I just kept forcing myself to do it, to be like, just, I want to just take on someone else's perspective. And then you get some of the stuff sticks with you, like the language that, that these people use. Um, but I, I remember I was reading uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when I was <laughs> I writing like my, I, I can't remember the name of the author. I don't remember uh, that was all over name. the place. When was that? That was, I feel like that, it was like a series, right? There was, I think there was two books and then it became like a, a, a TV show or something okay. or a movie or something, um, which is like a, you know, it's a comical apocalyptic sci-fi story. And, and that kind of got into my writing because my writing is pretty serious. Music, yeah. music's pretty serious, but there's also like some comic relief in there. I tell little jokes that people don't usually pick up on because it's shrouded in depressing narratives, <laughs> but yeah. And again, I don't, I usually don't remember, um, authors names, but I read the, uh, clockwork orange. Yeah. When I was reading. Um, and that again was another thing where it's like the content is so dark and heavy, but there's like this kind of comical colorful language that's being used. And that's the way that I, that I love to write it. So I like, uh, I like writers that have a sense of humor, but are also like trying to warn you of great impending doom. <laughs> so so it's it sounds to me then if i hear you correctly that you are deliberately reading voices that you wouldn't like you would normally pick up on like you're deliberately putting new voices like you talk about flannery o'connor and you know and and things like that so you're you're it's easy to read things that you know you're gonna like but you're reading things that you know you may not like is that right yeah i was reading yeah. like Essays by, I think this guy's name is H.L. Mencken. H.L. Mencken, yeah. Yeah, and it was like, I have no reason to relate to anything he's saying. Like, this doesn't interest me on the surface, but I just was like, let, let me hear what somebody else has to say because so much of music, songwriting, at least in the world of Americana, is about relatability. You know, it's like an everyman kind of music that people can can kind of see their themselves in, in these stories. And I was like, feeling like I already as a, um, you know, just because of 
I don't know, just being being black, I already have that kind of disconnect with most yeah. uh, media or most movies and music. Um, so I wanted to push myself even further and be like, let me go to this person, you know, born in 19th century Baltimore, this white man, and see if there's anything that we have in common. And maybe it will help me try to understand how to reach people who might not see themselves in me. And I didn't quite get there, but it's it's a journey that I've that I've been on. And sometimes I get off because I'm like, I don't think I'd, I want to do that. Why am I putting all this <laughs> this work on my plate? But it is something that that especially when I'm reading like literature, something that I'm interested in is finding just questioning that whole concept of relatability. And that's it for today's episode. Check back in a couple of weeks for a new episode. I do try to post these every two weeks. Uh, sometimes with more frequency, sometimes with less. A lot of that depends on my work commitments, my family commitments, and also when artists can talk to me. It's not easy to get these interviews. Speaking of interviews, did you know this is a relatively new podcast? Uh, I only started podcasting about a year ago. Uh, well, depending on when you're listening to this, I should say 2022. But from 2010 to 2022, uh, all of my interviews were transcribed, and they are all there archived for you to go down that deep rabbit hole. So if you go to songwritersonpodcast.com and click on From the Archives in the top, at the top, you'll see all of those transcribed interviews. I think there's over 200. Uh, so go down that rabbit hole. There's a lot of great interviews there. Um, but uh, you'll find all of those there. Again, the podcast itself is relatively recent, so there's a lot a lot of reading you need to be catching up on with those old interviews. Speaking of interviews, uh, if you have suggestions for interview subjects or want to comment or complain, anything like that, email me at ben at songwritersonprocess.com. That's ben at, ben at songwritersonprocess.com. And that's it for today's episode. This wraps it up. Thank you very much for listening and have a good one. 